Today's scripture reading is from Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 to 16. Hear the word of the Lord. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekites' army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered, and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it the Lord is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Shirley. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, we are missing a number of people, and in particular some of our senior high students and leaders. They are at an event called uh, uh, Legacy Youth Conference. Is that right? Yes, LYC at Ambrose, and um, uh, the reports are that they are doing well. I saw a, a post on Facebook um, that our youth group won the scavenger hunt, and I think there's about 500, 500 participants, so way to go Skyview. Um, we are competitive and, and humble, but we all know we are the best. And, uh, you know, we do not post any losing things on our social media, just so you know. 
So if you want to be a part of a wonderful congregation that goes from victory to victory, this is it. And we are humble, yes. Uh, this morning, I want to uh, continue on with our theme um, of wandering or journey, uh, which is very applicable for Lent. And you remember last week, I introduced to you an anthropological idea called liminality, and I like the idea. It's part of my research, but I think it's a good place just to kind of pick up. Liminality is the idea that unless you leave a certain place, can you become something different? that the pubescent boy at the age of uh, becoming an adult is sent into the wilderness um, away from the tribe so that he would disassociate from his previous status in order to consider the possibility of becoming a man. That this liminal place, this uh, wilderness experience, this bush experience, perhaps in the tribal uh, analogy of it, um, is an important place. It's a place of learning to disassociate, learning to see oneself differently. I would propose to you that the desert is a significant place in Scripture, but it is also a very important place in our spiritual journeys. That for many people, uh, to be Christian... Um, may be about um, the land flowing with milk and honey, as was promised to the Israelites. But in order to get to the land flowing with milk and honey, one has to travel through the desert. In fact, if you look at the geography, and as the Israelites who were enslaved in Egypt, as many of you may recall, were set free by the hand of God, they would leave Egypt traveling to the southwest, southeast, and they would cross through the Sea of Reeds. We translate that as the Red Sea. And they would spend 40 years, 40 years wandering in the desert. I uh, believe more and more that in order to understand what it means to be Christian, that you and I as Christians have to wrestle with not only the Old Testament, but in particular the Exodus narrative. Some commentators say that you cannot truly understand who Jesus Christ is and what he offers unless you understand what God has intended from the beginning to do through his people. That in fact, Exodus is about setting people free from bondage to Egypt, and Jesus Christ is about setting people free from sin and walking them to eternal life. There's a sense in which Exodus teaches us not only what it is that God hopes for, but it teaches us about the process in which, which God gets us there. I want to suggest to you that Lent is a perfect time to understand your salvation and my relationship with Jesus Christ as an invitation to appreciate the deserts in our life. The times in which things become dry, the times in which access and comfort and familiarity and security that we once enjoyed is removed from our life in order to place us again in a place in which we can long for that which truly satisfies. You, you know, um, there's a, a perspective of Christian faith that goes something like this. If you do the right things, if you pray the right way, and if you give enough money to the right church, that life should go well with you. 
There is a perspective of Christian faith that says, because I am Christian, I should not experience dryness. I should not experience difficult times. I shouldn't have desert experiences. But I want to suggest to you that if Jesus himself was not spared from the desert, who is our Savior, it is true that anyone that seeks to follow after him, too, will experience moments in their life that we can only describe in the language that makes sense to us from the biblical narrative, dry places. Have you been there? We've been in a dry place, a place of desperation, a place of hunger, a place of thirst, a place in which things that were previously known and brought you security is no longer there. I I want to propose to you that from the text in particular, that this is not a bad place to be. Now, here's the thing about liminality. When you disassociate, and I won't walk in front of the speaker again, because it means more editing for Daryl. But if, if, if this is leaving, and that is where God wants us to be, when you take your hand off this side and you move here, this is the liminal space that often feels very uncomfortable. You see, the desert is a place in which the known associations, the familiarity with who and what we think we are is no longer there. Sometimes we only enter, enter into liminality or into the desert by, 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 by tremendous actions that are stronger or more powerful by us. Sometimes trauma in our life moves us into the desert. Sometimes loss in our life moves us into the desert. Sometimes failure in relationships moves us into the desert. Sometimes the loss of job moves us into the desert. Sometimes the change of life experience moves us into the desert. But here's the hope of the Christian narrative. It is in the desert that God is always able to provide. And a Christian that follows this God follows him not only because they believe that what he promises is true, but they learn to trust that even in the deserts, God is able to do. Perhaps I would say it this way. God is often able to reveal himself to us in ways that we would not otherwise see him unless we enter the dry places of life. You see, Lent is a good season for searching after God in dry places. If I may, and you know you're going to say, well, Steve, you don't have to ask permission because you have the mic, right? We may not believe what you say, but you can say whatever you want. But if I may be transparent with you, I would say that I have entered the desert in my own life at several places and several points. And there's some things that you learn about yourself when you are in dry places. Some things that are revealed that you don't see when life seems to be fine and life seems to be comfortable. You see, I believe more and more that God brought the nation out of Egypt, but the desert intended to get Egypt out of the nation. You see, I believe more and more that God brought the people of Israel out of captivity, but that captivity still defined the way in which they thought of themselves. There is a great gift in going into the desert and getting lost in the desert for a length of time because it takes long to disassociate from things that has defined you prior. And the hope of the desert is not simply that we would be disassociated from, but that we would develop a new kind of thirst a thirst for the living water, a thirst that comes only from God. So get this. So Israel crosses the Sea of Reeds. Commentators teach me, and I read this uh, from a, a wonderful resource that gives you kind of the historical context. I think you will find this fascinating, that estimates when you read the Bible in the Old Testament text suggest that we're looking at about a couple of million people leaving Egypt. 
At one point, it records 670,000 men, plus family, plus children, plus livestock. At one point, the train of Israel's leaving Exodus was so long that the people at the rear were two weeks behind the people at the front. That's what they suggest. You see, there's a sense in which when we read Exodus, we may think of veggie tales. Right? I love veggie tales. I think my favorite veggie tale is the wall of Jericho with the French peas. You know that one? <laughs> if you haven't watched it, it's great biblical teaching. <laughs> a little inaccurate on the numbers, but good nonetheless. There's a sense in which Exodus is an incredible movement. It's an incredible task. It's a huge. I mean, when we read the story of the crossing of the Red Sea, we may think of it in terms of just happening very quickly. But think about that. A couple of million people crossing over, being chased. This is a tremendous task. So anyway, they get to the other side and they travel for a few weeks and they get to a place that is dry. And there they, 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 they eventually find, I should say, they eventually find a, a water, a source of water. But when they go to drink the water, they find out that the water is bitter. And God shows Moses, the scripture says. The, the word show, by the way, in that Chapter 15, in translated from the Hebrew into English, would actually mean taught. So God taught Moses a way of actually changing the water to making it drinkable and says, throw this piece of wood, likely a piece of branch from a particular tree, which, by the way, agricultural evidence suggests still is a practice in certain parts of the world. He throws it into the water, and the water is changed, and it becomes drinkable. So they drink. A miraculous thing, right? God had just opened the sea. He has now provided water where there was bitter water. He has made water that, according to Scripture, tastes sweet. They move on from there, and they start to complain again. And why wouldn't they? They're in the desert. You know, they were enslaved in Egypt. Yeah, but at least they had some food. Uh, you know, even though uh, Pharaoh rationed their supplies and diminished how much they ate so that they would work harder, which doesn't make sense. At least they got something in Egypt. And here they are again now saying, what are we going to eat? And so God again provides and provides for them manna and quail. And they have the manna in the morning and they have the quail at night. And then they move out from there. We're talking about two months removed now from leaving Egypt. And they find themselves in this particular location that the text picks up. And again, there's a lack of water and they grumble and they complain. And here's what they say to Moses. Why did you, I want you to hear this. Why did you bring us here to die? You know, I think that's a very important scripture in this particular text because it reveals a couple of things. That Israel, at some points, when things got really hard, they could not fathom that it is actually the God of Israel that brought them there, but they looked at Moses and they accused him of poor leadership decisions. You see, there's a theology at play here that Israel did not expect that the God who's going to deliver them would bring them into hard places. There's a sense in which Israel, the Hebrew people, did not believe that this was a part of God's plan. Do you get it? I mean, if you are going to save us, God, we're going to trust this guy, this Moses guy, dodgy character, by the way. 
By the way, Moses' leadership was very challenging because he was kind of distant from the people for most of the way, you know? Remember the incident where he intervenes and then he strikes an Egyptian uh, to save the life of another Hebrew slave? And then the next day he shows up and the Hebrews go like, who are you? You know what that that particular passage teaches us? That there was a distance between him and the people he was called to lead. And I think that distance was there for a long time. It was crossed at one point, but when the people get into this difficult place, they look at him and they say, you, (laughs) you brought us here. I think that what the people say is often true of many a Christian. When we get into dry places, we, we don't necessarily think that this has anything to do with God's leading. We don't necessarily believe that God brings people into deserts where they thirst and they hunger and they only, the only hope is somehow miraculously that God would intervene. But this is the story of scripture. That sometimes God leads us into desert places. Sometimes God leads us into hard places. You know, there's many a pulpit that I cannot stand behind today and say that, right? Because what he said today, and I want you to hear this, if there's a good reason to listen to the message today, it's to listen to the honesty and the integrity of the word itself. God does not lead us only to nice places, but oftentimes on the journey to where he wants to take us, we go through some very hard experiences. And the hard experiences is intended to teach us, to refine us, to show us, who God truly is. Maybe this morning you don't find yourself in the desert or maybe you do. And I want to propose to you uh, very simply that although there might be reasons we find ourselves in trouble, if you find yourself, and I want to define the desert for you, in a place where you are asking, is God here? Is God concerned? Is God present? Because that's the question that comes from the text. They say, is God amongst us? God must not be amongst us. He may not be a part of this plan because things have gotten really difficult. I want to suggest to you that the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and Joshua, the God that sent Jesus Christ into the world, is the God that leads people into the desert, but it is the God that goes ahead of them. Let me give you a really neat connection. You know that Jesus fulfills absolutely everything that the Israelites could not. Do you know that after his baptism, I'm going to be a little bit creative with you. In Matthew's gospel, after the the sea, uh, you know, uh, when, when, when the Egyptians left and they crossed through the sea, after Jesus' water baptism, The Spirit, it says, leads him where? Into the desert. Where he would be tempted for how many days? 40 days. Do you know how long Israel was in the desert? 40 years. Do you know what Jesus says when he hangs from the cross in some of the statements he makes? He says this, I am thirsty. You know what we learn about Jesus? Jesus? is Jesus identifies 
with the Israelites in their journey, in their wandering, in their desert, and in their thirst. And he becomes for us on Resurrection Sunday. Just hold on for it. That's going to be really awesome to celebrate. He becomes for us on Resurrection Sunday home. He becomes fulfillment. He becomes the place that we finally get to. He becomes the one in whom we find the milk and honey. He becomes our resting place. He becomes our living water. He becomes the one who truly feeds the desires of our hearts. You see, Lent is not just about us recognizing that the desert is there, but in the desert we begin to see who God is in the person of Christ and the reason we celebrate and go through this season is because of him. In the desert, our true thirst is revealed. I've preached on this many times. You know, I, I think that people try to satisfy their hunger for God, their thirst for God in many ways. I think that only when we are brought to places of dryness where the wells that run dry are exposed for what they are do we see the true well that never runs dry. You see, I think Satan is in the business of making us drink from wells just a little at a time and keeps us moving along and drinking here and drinking there, but never being satisfied. You know, uh, you know I, I don't know if you've been truly thirsty, truly thirsty, and the only thing that you know will satisfy, as much as I used to love Coke, I don't drink Coke anymore. You know, when you hit that 40s, for some reason, your metabolism slows down. I, I don't know. You weigh how much you eat in terms of how many extra hours it means at the gym in a week and, and all those kinds of things. But, but if, you, if you've truly thirsted, thirsting after water, and you have fresh, cold, refreshing water to drink, what that means. What it means to actually take in something that truly feeds. I, I feel that a lot of us are tempted to settle for uh, anything uh, that can temporarily satisfy, but what God offers us, the reason we don't receive it is because we're not willing to be led in times of dryness. I don't know whether this resonates with you. I think it's an incredibly hopeful message, by the way. I'm talking about the desert and dryness. But I'm hoping if you're sitting here and you're saying, you know, Stu, I've gone through, I know what you're talking about. I've been very dry. Spiritually, I haven't felt excited. I haven't felt Jesus in my life. I haven't felt like I wanted to sing the great song. By the way, wasn't the worship good this morning? I mean, like, not that that's all there is to worship, but wasn't that good? You know what I love about worship when it's really going is that the people singing and leading us believe it. I felt that this morning. And I sense there was faith in that worship this morning. But I, 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 want, to, I want to suggest to you that if you're a person sitting here and you say, I... If I was to be honest with you right now, Stu, I know the dryness you speak of. I know when I'm not feeling it. I know when I feel like, man, it it just doesn't feel like it used to feel. Do you remember maybe a time in your life where your Christian faith felt vibrant and felt alive and you were excited and you were passionate? I remember one such incident. I was so on fire for God. I was sitting in this church quietly praying to him saying, let them ask me to preach. And when they did, I couldn't stop. (laughs) Poor people. I remember a day in my own life where my faith was so 
alive, so on fire, so deep, so there was nothing I wouldn't give up. There was nothing I wouldn't sacrifice. I would just follow. But I also remember times in my life where I've cried out, is God still present? Is he still here? Everything around me seems to indicate that he's not. You see, I can preach about the great fervor and the great passion and the great exciting times of knowing, but I can also speak of the desert barrenness within my own soul. And here's where I come today to rest, that God is present in the moments of abundant joy and celebration and victory, but he is equally, if not more accessible in the times of testing and trial and desert. Thanks be to the God who walks with us. Thanks be to the God who is faithful to us. Thanks be to the God who takes dry places and reveals things about himself that we couldn't find out when things were going well. Thanks be to the God who teaches us how to hunger and thirst after him. Thanks be to the God who does not spare us from the hard things in life so that we would not become superficial people. Thanks be to the God who gives us experiences and allows things to happen so that we would trust him more deeply. Thanks be to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses and Joshua, the gods of the prophets, the gods of those who've gone before us, and the God who still today is the God of Skyview Community Church. Thanks be to him, for he is faithful. Wherever you find yourself, two weeks behind or at the front of the pack, he is leading us in times of testing. My friends, I don't know about you, but this gives me tremendous hope today. Three of you are blessed. (laughs) 97 of you are internally blessed. There is a sense in which the scripture teaches us that God is the one who leads into the desert. There's a sense in which the desert reveals our true thirst, but I want to suggest to you that what God offers in the desert is not only a revelation of himself and the need we have for him, but it is there where we most meet the true and living God. You see, for all the preaching that I can do and for all the reading and scripture study we can do, I think more and more what we Christians are tempted to believe is that our Christian faith is simply about our understanding. Uh, Don't get me wrong, understanding is certainly important. When I was preparing for this sermon, I I read a a lot of history. I I, I read a lot of context. I I love that because it enriches my understanding. You know, by the way, you know, can can I tell you one thing I learned? Learning's okay, right? So, so, So you know the word... When Jesus showed Moses how to, uh, to take a stick and throw it, a branch, and throw it in the water and change it, that the word in the Hebrew there for show means the word taught, which is related to Torah, which is the law that God gives Moses. You know that later on, uh, rabbis would look back at that and they would say that a study of the word of God, embracing the Torah of God, the law of God in one's life, is like sweet medication to the bitterness of life. Uh, There there, there was a sense in which there was a deep appreciation for how God's word in times of hardship can become a foundation, can become a healing, can become something sweet in our lives. 
You see, in the desert, you, you, you get very little things by intention, and you lose a bunch of stuff by intention so that you would become alive to that which sustains you. And, and what God gave them was himself. He's leading, he's provision, he's very word. And I've said this to you many times, is that we are a very biblically poor culture these days. Uh, we don't know the scriptures like we ought to. We don't spend time in the word like we used to. We used to put such a priority on, on Bible study and such a priority on Sunday school, not because we just thought it's about programs, because we understood, understood that, that when we studied the Word of God, we get to know and meet God there. It was not just about what we understood. And so many people these days feel that that's all it is, 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 is I understood more, and okay, I can be smarter. Oh, no, it's always been that Word reveals God. The Word became flesh for a reason, so that we may behold Him, that we would know Him. In this season of dryness, I challenge you with a message of hope that God invites you to know Him in a way that you cannot know unless you go to the dry places. I am amazed at how oftentimes um, I do what Israel did. Why? You know, now I can preach this way and say we shouldn't say that. Bad Christian. But I'm more liberated by honesty these days than I am about what I think I should do. I'm more liberated to say that there are going to be times where I cry out to God and say, God, I don't understand this. I, I think it's inhuman to not recognize that. But when we cry out in those moments of God, why? May we, may we somehow be able to access a greater reality that oftentimes the hunger and thirst that we feel is an actual part of God's salvation for each one of us. I invite you this morning to uh, consider this an opportunity a season to discover the God that Moses found, to trust him, to even thank him for the dry moments, the times where you didn't feel it in your heart and soul. To thank him because he is there with you, and he is faithful. Amen? <laughs> so that when we drink the water, we know what truly satisfies. As uh, Bob and the worship team comes to lead us, I'm going to ask you to become um, responsive through prayer. Um, one of the practices of the church throughout history is, is that we, in faith, believe we can speak to God, but more importantly, that prayer for us is also about becoming attentive to what He says to us. He has spoken to us through His Word today, and we can receive that Word now as a part of our prayer. Father, may we, in this season of Lent, be able to discern the hope and life that comes to us in the desert. May we recognize that dry places 
uh, can be places of incredible healing and trust and growth. It doesn't seem that you were too concerned with moving them through the desert very quickly, which bothers me and perhaps bothers many of us. We don't like discomfort. We don't like longing. We don't like need. None of us wants to express ourselves as those who are needy or those who are powerless. But Father, you reveal to us through your Son how much we need you. And so by your grace now, would you minister to us by your Holy Spirit? Would you make us faith-filled and may we respond to your word according to that which you bring to heart and mind? In Jesus' name, amen.